This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Hey, welcome back to the church for the rest of us. This is Jimmy Scroggins broadcasting from the skyscraper we own at Family Church in downtown West Palm Beach. <laughs> three-story skyscraper. <laughs> yeah, it's wonder. three stories, but we are on the third story. That's true. So from way up here, we're broadcasting from our studios, socially distancing. The microphones are fully extended. We're way apart, as you can see on video. But I have with me Carly Stillman, our engineer, Leslie Bennett, my co-host at Church for the Rest of Us, and... Scott Crawford, Scott's the man who knows the business on church business. That's right. And what we're going to talk about today is the financial plan. So this Corona apocalypse, this coronavirus crisis has forced every church, including ours, to go back and look at what we're doing, how we're doing it, how we're going to afford to keep doing it, because a lot of churches have seen their offerings go way down. We have been very fortunate the first four weeks of the crisis. Our offerings really have not gone down at all, maybe a hair, but really fine. And We've been able to reduce our expenses to less than what's coming in the offering plate. So we're doing great. And we have significant reserves. But we still have to look at this long term because I think that this coronavirus crisis is going to extend in some form or another until we have a vaccine. And even after we have a vaccine, the idea that we're suddenly going to regather everyone and the economy is going to be back to what it was a month ago or two months ago, is just highly unlikely. So we need to plan for a long stretch of difficult and different kinds of financial situations than churches have been in for a long time in our country, probably since the Great Depression. Hmm. And so we've got to think about it. And to me, churches who just naively hope somehow this is going to get better, they say things like, oh, this is all a joke and a media conspiracy. Or they say, oh, don't worry, because there's a cure coming out. I hope that they're right, but I think that they're wrong. And what I would encourage our listeners to do is literally plan for the worst and hope for the best, because if you plan for the best and the worst happens, you're hosed, right? (laughs) But if you plan for the worst and the best happens, it's pretty easy to adjust from the worst plan to the best situation. There you go. And so I just encourage our listeners to consider that. Leslie, you and I've had a lot of conversations about that in the last few days. And part of this is an emotional component to all this. Oh, yeah, it's huge. It's very difficult. So we are trying to look at the scenario that you just talked about and what is that going to look like moving forward. And we know that it requires significant changes. And all of those changes have emotions with them, right? Because we are talking about the things that we love doing. And we really love what we're doing, like our network of neighborhood churches. We've talked about this on the podcast, pretty much what the podcast is about. And we love it. We love the strategy. We believe in the strategy, but we're going to have to look at moving forward, possibly in a slightly different way. And so how do we do that? And I think it was pretty much week one of this all happening that you called Scott and you said, Scott, we need to figure out how we're going to move forward and we need a plan. And so we're going to put together this plan. And so Scott When you got that call, what did you start doing? Well, after I uncurled out of the fetal position. Uh, uh, You did not. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's not that kind of guy. (laughs) No, I I mean, that's the question that every church ought to be asking right now, you know, and businesses as well, right? And so, you know, everybody needs to be thinking about exactly what Pastor just said. You know, what are we going to do long term? Because there's a short term component of this, like how are we going to meet payroll? What are Mm -hmm. we going to do this week? 
But then there's a longer term component of this that says we've got to actually be thinking down the road about this and how are businesses and specifically for our context, churches going to be sustainable long term. And so it does require a lot of planning. And I think in some ways for us, we've been planning for this even though we would not have named it this event, mm-hmm. we've been planning for this for years. In fact, ever since Pastor yep. Jimmy came from my seat, I look at the fact that we do conservative budgeting. So whatever this year's budget is, does not exceed what last year's receipts were. Mm-hmm. So that's very conservative in our budgeting. I think the fact that we've established operating reserves, and so we've been setting money aside, which obviously is a keen principle in business to do that. Not a bad idea personally. Yeah, not a bad idea personally. (laughs) And then honestly, the culture that Jimmy's built with what I consider to be agile and collaborative decision making. So like we're able to respond quickly. So the fact that we had the call, we created a plan, we executed the plan, we did that within a matter of days just goes to the kind of the culture that Jimmy's built that I think helped us prepare for this a long time ago. Well, part of what we have to do, you know, I think the worst thing that churches can do right now is knee jerk and react. And I think none of us know exactly how this is going to unfold, although we're starting to get some idea. I think every day we get a little more news, get a little more experience with this as a nation, as a church. But I think the worst thing you could do is act like you already know what the end game of this is because no one knows. But I do think you need to put your church in position to be flexible and adaptable and agile. So I think flexibility, adaptability, and agility are the key characteristics of a successful church who makes the most out of this opportunity, at least, Mm. both in the short term, the medium term, and the long term, because you're going to have to have the flexibility to maybe even abandon some core elements of our program or strategy like we are, but you're going to have to adapt to the conditions as the conditions reveal themselves. And then you're going to have to be agile enough to do so successfully. And boy, it's really hard, especially if you're in a smaller church or a medium-sized church and maybe you don't have high-level expert staff. We tweeted something this week with one of our podcasts and said, hey, this is what our production team had to learn to do really quick. Mm -hmm. And a guy tweeted back at us immediately like, I am our production team. It's me and my iPhone. So thank (laughs) you for the podcast. I appreciate his spirit in that. Some of the things we talked about in the podcast would apply. Mm -hmm. I do understand. So sometimes people might listen to this and think, oh, wow, if I had a finance team who could create a phased approach to our payroll But it doesn't really matter at all scales. Even if you're a church with one employee or a single pastor with a part-time assistant of some sort or a small staff, you have the same exact issues. You just have them on a different scale. Likewise, if you're a church, there are churches much, much, much larger than ours. Mm -hmm. Same exact issues on a larger scale. So, Scott, we kind of came up with a plan and I got the idea to call it this. It's not rocket surgery, Leslie, as I like to say, (laughs) but it's from Aaron Bergner at Church at the Mall in Lakeland. And he immediately developed a four-phased plan that he could explain easily to his church leaders, to his staff, to his church family. And I said, wow, that's a great way to think of it and a great way to call it. So we came and developed our plan. So Scott, why don't you talk a little bit about how we developed that and what we came up with? Yeah. So two components of the plan. One is trying to figure out ways that we could actually increase income, tithes and offerings, the combination of the two. And so one is we've made a heavy push, concerted effort on online giving and tried to encourage our folks to give that way. Then the other is, is like other people, we're looking at participating in some of the government stimulus packages that are out there. So the CARES Act certainly has opportunity for churches to participate, and we would encourage people to 
examine your situation and see if that would be appropriate for you to participate in that. And then the other was decreased expenses. And so you either increase your revenue, you decrease your expenses to get where you need to be to be financially viable. And so for us, it was really kind of a four phase plan. The first phase of that was really looking at our operating expenses and trying to find out ways without impacting personnel that we could actually reduce what our weekly requirements are financially. And so we've been able to do that. We've actually at this point, phase one of that, we cut out about 45% of our weekly operating expenses. Now, the downside to that is, is we all just became professional painters and landscapers. <laughs> right. And so because we had people who we were paying to that's right. do our landscaping and mow the grass at our different locations. And now we're doing it. That's um, right. So all of that stuff really. Well, important. and that is to back to your point, Pastor, about this being scalable for every church. I mean, any church that is paying for an outside service always has the opportunity to take that service back in-house and mm-hmm. utilize the staff that you have or high-capacity volunteers. So we would encourage churches to consider that as well, uh, just the same way that we're doing. So really, phase one did not involve personnel really at all. So purely operational expense in nature. Phase two, though, is where we get to that phase. And a note on that, these are objective phases based on giving. And so these are not emotional decisions, as you said. These aren't knee-jerk reactions. The plan actually has what we would call triggers in place, and those triggers are governed by levels of giving. And so we know that when giving drops to a certain level, we will then move to the next phase. And so we would encourage you again to have a phased approach to this that's something that's logical, sequential, more linear in terms. And so phase two, unfortunately, we do start having to make decisions about personnel. So one of the things that we've talked about doing at an executive staff level is considering taking pay cuts. And so part of that is just good leadership. It's leading out in the effort. Part of what we've talked about doing is looking at those benefits that are not medical in nature. So things like retirement contributions, things like benefit cards that we provide to some of our employees. Those are all things that are real dollars. They represent real expenses, but they're also kind of a less invasive way to reduce employee expenses. At phase three, now we're really starting to talk about either kind of across the board salary cuts or staff reductions. We're looking at part-time and bivocational staff. At that point, we for sure have stopped all of our construction projects. And so phase three for us would be where we would really, as an organization, begin to contract. And we would actually, as Leslie said, at that point, it is emotional because you work with people that you love and you care about. And we pray for each other. We pray for each other's families. Our kids play ball together or they used to. Um, <laughs> and right. so, yeah, right. so, you know, I mean, those are tougher decisions. And then phase four, Pastor, you've kind of referred to this. We get to phase four in our plan <laughs> and the world has changed as we know it. Yeah, You know, you're in a situation where you've taken a staff and you really now are functioning as a single standalone church and you're doing the bare minimum that it takes to require to continue being a church at that point. But all of those are driven by economic realities on giving. Yeah. All right. So one of the things I like about that, Scott, is we like the phases because it defines what you're going to do. And it's a plan that you can explain. The second thing, so you might be asking like, well, how do you come up with the amount of offerings that triggers the next phase? And the answer to that is arithmetic. (laughs) So, So all you do is you figure out after you reduce expenses as much as you can, what is your weekly or monthly need going mm-hmm. to be? But you have to pay, right? Your account's payable, your payroll, whatever your expenses are. And then you have to figure out how much do you have in reserves or how much can you borrow or whatever to create additional funding, including the PPP Act, if you're going to take advantage of that mm-hmm. and whatever else. And then you have to plot out how long do you think it's going to last? So 
the amount of offering that comes in every week compared to your weekly need, compared to how much you're able and willing to draw from your reserves and how long you think it's going to last, you put all that together and that tells you what your offering trigger ought to be. And so it's going to be different for every church. Some of you say, well, I don't have any reserves. Okay. Well, it makes it easy. Math is a lot easier. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, the really the trickiest number on all of that is you have a finite amount of reserves. You can figure out what that is really quick. You know what your weekly need is. You can figure that out really quick. The real variable that we don't know is how long does this go? Yeah. So Scott, you know, we even talked about, we even scheduled out some of these things depending on how long we think it goes. Yeah, that's right. So for right now, our plan goes through 2020 and we did decide for our context, we want to make sure that we maintain a certain amount of minimum in our operating reserves. And so part of our plan is not just how can we eke this out as long as possible till we get down to the last penny. It's now how can we do this in a way that's responsible that still at the end of this leaves us with some level of operating reserves, which is why you have those triggers in place. And you're right, that'll be different for every church. But if you do have reserves, if you do take advantage of the payroll protection loan that's available to you, again, we would encourage you not to spend every dime that your plan would actually have you think through how long this may last for your context and what that looks like so that you still can be a viable church on the other side of this when the community is probably going to need you the most. Yeah. And I think that's so important, Leslie, because I just think a lot of church leaders that I'm talking to and interacting with, I think they have a Pollyannish, naive sense of hope that just somehow this is all going to work out. And it is going to work out. I'm just not sure it's going to work out well for for some, you know, we have a lot of first world attachments Mm -hmm. in the way that we do ministry. Even the things we've talked about right now, like, can you imagine St. Peter, St. Paul, you know, the saints, the missionaries who went to Africa in the Middle Ages. So wait a minute, let me get this straight. The pandemic's so bad, you're going to give up retirement. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) And health insurance, too. Holy cow. But you're not going to give up health insurance. Yeah. So some of this is serious first world stuff that we're talking about. But it's still hard to talk about, hard to contemplate, just because like eight weeks ago, we're all feeling like the economy's better than it's ever been. Our churches are stronger than it's ever been. We had a whole neighborhood church strategy that's been just completely obliterated. But let's talk a little bit about how we rolled this out, because I think that's important, too. So I don't want our listeners to be thinking, you're you're talking about this on the podcast. Do your employees know about this? Because (laughs) they're hearing all this. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's important to talk about how we rolled that out, too. So we had several committee meetings, leadership council meetings, and staff meetings. So I don't know if one of you want to address how we did that. Yeah. So first of all, obviously, we, we try to start with kind of concentric circles of leadership and influence. So we start with our closest, our kind of highest staff members, the most responsibility, and then kind of had meetings with them. So we had meetings with those folks. We're a committee-informed church. Our committees speak strongly into our decision-making process. Those are lay people. There's about 48 people on various committees. And so I and Scott got on Zoom calls with each committee, mm-hmm. which we have five, and met with each committee explain the phased-in process and our plan. We asked for feedback from them. We got some. We tweaked it a little bit according to some of the feedback that we got, made sure they were all on board. And then last Wednesday via YouTube Live, we have a staff chapel every Wednesday on YouTube Live for all of our employees, wherever they're working. And we walk them through the four phases of the plan, including what the offering level would have to be for the next phase to trigger. Mm -hmm. And it did a couple of things. One, it did cause some people to be a little bit anxious because they're looking at all that thinking, huh, based on my job and what I do, 
And what I'm an expert at, I'm not sure the corona apocalypse calls for my role. And some of them are correct about that. And so they kind of can say, uh-oh, that could be me. But we're also able to say we're not going to make any kind of cuts or anything during the month of April. So May at the earliest, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what the offering triggers would be so that they actually know we're not just arbitrarily calling people into the office and putting them on waivers. We have a methodical process and people are going to know, oh my gosh, offerings went down to that level. Yeah, We're about to go to phase two. Yeah, And at least they have the security and at least they know that we are trying to lead with transparency and that it's not just arbitrary. So like Scott's going to name the five people he doesn't like, you know, and they're all, they're all fine. Uh-oh. That's not, that's not what we're doing. And I'd be interested. I don't know if you guys want to respond to that because you guys interact with our, how do you think that was received by our team? I think they really appreciated the communication. I mean, like you said, being transparent is super important to them. So I think they just want to be informed of what the situation is. And I think for the most part, they were very accommodating and very encouraging too with their feedback in return. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get any negative feedback. Of course, everybody appreciated it. And I think that people, they want to do what they can and they're all in and they understand the hard decisions that we have to make. So I don't know if on the HR side, did we get any questions? Yeah, I did get up? a lot of invitations to lunch all of a sudden oh, did you? And, okay, good. and offer to cut my grass. <laughs> That's and, right. And I'm, I'm just kidding. I, that didn't happen. No, I think that, you know, there's a psychology to some of this too, right? So I think the fear of the unknown is always much worse. And so to Pastor's point about every time the phone rings and says, hey, Jimmy needs to talk to you for a minute. Well, like, okay, what about? Like, it's do not I just a spam yeah, email yeah, this yeah, time. Right, right. No. So I think having the clear communication and saying, hey, nothing's going to happen for the next four weeks, you know, at a minimum, this is what our plan is. You're right. Having something that is objective. So everybody sees what the offerings are and knows what that is each week from week to week. They're a lot and more so, in tune to that now, aren't they? Well, yeah, for sure. For sure. Those offerings. But again, I think having the plan, having it in writing, having it clearly and concisely articulated, I think gives everybody some assurance there's some security in that. So Yeah, and you referenced it quickly at the beginning, Scott, but your team has worked so hard to take advantage of some of the assistance that is being offered. And we've applied for the PPP loan, right? We have. So we're going to take advantage of that if we can. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. I know you're getting a lot of questions from a lot of churches. So just to be clear on what we've done here at Family Church. Yeah. So the good news is, is this program exists. The bad news is, is I don't know that there's any one person in America who actually knows how all of the implications Mm -hmm. are, are going to play out for churches other than we get to participate. And so a lot of conversation about First Amendment rights and how that plays into this and what are churches going to be required to do for taking federal money. And so again, at this point, we're looking at this as an opportunity to maintain our current staffing levels, which is exactly what the stimulus package was designed to do. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to take advantage of that. And during that, we'll continue to work out our phase project plan for a lot of churches. This is going to be a great opportunity to extend their payroll, to extend their ability to actually do church especially smaller churches, Mm -hmm. um, you know, who are going to be able to take advantage of this. But then on the other side of that is preparing for the what if, you know, so part of this too is part of what our HR department is doing is making sure that we're up to speed on what it looks like to file for unemployment because churches are able to do that. And historically, if your church did not participate in your state's unemployment compensation, you weren't eligible for unemployment for your people. So making sure that we've got those plans in place, looking at things that if we ever got down to furloughing, how can we do that in a way that may protect some employee benefits? Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is, again, part of the plan is not just what are the phases and what triggers do we pull? It's what are the implications of pulling those triggers? And when we implement that phase, 
how can we do that in a way that takes care of our people the absolute best that we know how? That's good. Yeah, we do recognize that every church is going to have to, as Scott said at the beginning, every church is going to have to figure out the right path for you. And different churches have different kind of nuanced beliefs and red lines that for whatever reason, your church is not going to cross. We understand that. They don't have to be the same as family church. I have friends of mine who refuse to have online services. I understand that. Obviously, we're doing it different, but I understand that. We have friends who, for instance, they don't do baptisms or Lord's Supper unless they can actually physically gather. We've chosen to go another direction on that. I do respect and understand their position, but we have a different one. We have friends who think that taking loans from the government is some kind of religious liberty compromise or even just sends the wrong message to our society. A friend of mine named Bart Barber, who's a pastor out West, he actually wrote a really strong blog post about why his church is not going to take the funds because he said at the end of this crisis, I don't want everybody to say, yeah, the government bailed out all the churches. Hmm. And so I appreciate his stance. I don't share it, but I appreciate it. And so just so we're clear, we're trying to give you ideas and strategies that you can use with the resources that you have at your church right now. But we also recognize that every single one of these conversations we're having right now shakes up the status quo, causes us to ask really hard questions, causes us to dig down into our Bibles, causes us to dig down into church history, causes us to dig down into what we really believe, the confessional statements that we make. And all of these things put us to the test. And so... Our encouragement is for you as leaders and pastors in churches, you have to do what you believe the Holy Spirit of God is leading you to do. You have to do it in a way that does not violate your understanding of the scriptures and does not violate your conscience. And so our encouragement is to listen to what we're saying, consider what we're saying. If there's any way we can help you, you can email us, call us, tweet at us, whatever. We'll get back with you. We want you to succeed. And we believe that churches are going to succeed. Mm -hmm. You know, the Church of Jesus Christ, Big C Church, has persisted through pandemics and plagues and wars and scoundrels and scandals and persecutions. And in every case, the church has not only survived, it has come out and thrived. We believe that Jesus is going to continue to make his bride beautiful, even in the midst of a pandemic. You know, Jesus, when he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, nothing's ever going to prevail against the church. The church of Jesus Christ is invincible. And even if our churches, the local expressions of the universal church, have to look different or function differently, or even some of us cease to exist, that's okay. The church of Jesus Christ is going to last forever. Mm -hmm. Love you guys. Thanks for watching and listening. This is Jimmy Scroggins. You've been on Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.